This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. Car Guys Report Informed Automotive is up next, but first, take a listen to this other fine OPI show. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Twisting a fatty on the White House roof. Embarrassing baseball injuries. Every political ad ever. A viral hoax from the Rick and Dave archives. And Rick's brush with television star Marilou Henner. All that in unlimited tangents. Listen to Minutia Men on Spotify, opishows.com. Amazon, or wherever you find podcasts, just search for Radio Misfits. The following is a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us once again. I'm Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable, and this is the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. And, you know, Lou, we always like to just uh, chit-chat a little bit at the uh, top of each uh, episode, what uh, is new in our car world and things like that. And last episode, I was... Uh, not exactly gushing, but uh, enthusiastically talking about uh, uh, my experiences so far with my uh, new Dodge Challenger. Certainly do. Uh, I've been enjoying that car very much. And I've been looking forward to asking you, Lou. Uh, you had alluded to the fact, alluded, there we go again, that um, that you said you were going to go to a private uh, track day event. And that was a couple of weeks ago. So this was at uh, Blackhawk Farms Raceway, which is uh, right on the Wisconsin Illinois border. I hadn't been up to uh, I haven't been up to Blackhawk in probably about thirty years. I used to do some high speed autocrossing there when I uh, was campaigning my nineteen uh, God, what year was it eighty six Saab nine hundred. Uh, just box stock. It had the 16-valve, naturally aspirated four-cylinder with a five-speed uh, manual, and it was the uh, 900 coupe, so it was the, the one that actually had the trunk on it, not a hatchback. So it was kind of a rare car, neat car. I had a lot of fun. I was never competitive, but it was fun, and there's something being something about being on a racetrack where you know you don't have to worry about getting speeding tickets or getting pulled over. It's just as fast as you dare go, and um, I just wanted to get your experience because I I believe this was the first time you'd actually actually been on a track and to have some fun. Well, I've been on a track, but not. Um, uh, to answer your question, yeah, I've, I've, I've gotten a couple of opportunities to drive with something called Extreme Experience, which is on the Autobahn where you're driving someone else's car. Um, so I've driven a Lamborghini Oricon. I was driving a Ferrari 488. But you have somebody um, riding with you, right? Yeah, you have somebody riding yeah. with you. But this is just where you're driving by yourself, yep. and I was driving my Viper. Yeah, yep. it's the first time I've had my Viper on a track, so to speak, by myself and, and just enjoying the ride. So, um, yeah, I mean, first of all, of course it's fun. I mean, uh, uh, I guess unless you wreck it, and thankfully I didn't do that. So um, that was that, that kept it fun for me. Um, the track, uh, uh, you realize the differences in cars quite a quite quickly mm-hmm. let me define that for a minute uh there was a um porsche uh cayman not cayman um Box- little porsche boxster uh carrera i think they might call it that was uh, eating us up because it was uh you can break waves like my viper you have to break way in advance yeah you, you know it, it's somewhat heavy with that v10 and before you swing it around a corner you want to make sure you're going to stop <laughs> so, but these little Porsches, they can fly all the way into the corner and then they basically hit the brake. Rock, and yeah, just, rocket out of the turn. Yeah, and then they're they're hitting acceleration. So it, it was a lot of fun. Um, it was embarrassing a couple of times getting passed by uh, things like uh, new Mercedes wagons. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, but which, you get an E63 out there wagon. That, if it was the E63 AMG, that's a, that's not embarrassing at all. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, I kept waving him past me, you know, I mean, and and the fun part was, you know, he had like the kids in the car in the back seat and the whole yeah. thing. <laughs> they're, they're all like waving past me, you know, like a teddy bear. Hey, thanks, guys. Yeah, nice seeing you. Were you hitting but, any uh, good speeds or? Uh, the straightaway, the fastest I could do without, you know, wiping it out into the, the solid turn corner was probably about 110. Yeah, okay, that's good. Yeah, so you got some speed going on there. That's a yeah, fun little fun little course, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's only just under two miles. Yeah, it's like one point seven, one point nine, something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it's one point nine, and there's a lot of little spinny curves in it, so it definitely uh, has that flavor that uh, uh, you know you're going to be braking, you're going to be accelerating, you're going to be braking, you're going to be accelerating. So uh, yeah, no, but I mean, it was a lot of fun to, to to hang out there, and the cars that were on the track were all over the place from. Uh, you know, there was a 57 Studebaker out there huh. that, that, you know, was, was uh, screaming, actually. I mean, it was quite thrilling to watch that thing run around the track. You wouldn't think that. But, uh, you know, this is this is kind of the fun of the track. And uh, so there was a couple of Ferraris. I was driving a Ferrari 360 out there. Somebody was driving that. I got the chance to drive a uh, Lotus um, 7, which is basically okay. a go-kart. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so they were allowing me to drive some of their cars, and and that was that was great fun. Was there anything that you you learned about your Viper that you didn't know about it before, and the way it performed, handled brakes, or or things that yeah, you, surprised great, you? Or yeah, no, that's a great question. Yeah, I learned a lot about it. Number one is is that it needs a longer course <laughs> because uh, uh, that short course with quick lots of turns. Yeah is not really its game. Its game is to accelerate hard and long mm-hmm. and far and to accelerate and then have to, de- you know, bring it down. Sure. And then, you know, basically uh, maneuver it through the corners versus other people who are actually attacking the corners uh, with much smaller cars and nimble cars and six cylinders and four cylinders. And, you know, my, my car would be the tires were screaming and their cars were, you know, enjoying <laughs> so yeah so that was that was definitely um, a learning lesson uh there because a lot of times when you think you have all that cubic inches you just feel like you know you're going to have a great day period and you find out that uh compared to some of these little cars that can you know spin around you in circles sure. it's, it's almost it's almost like you're you know you're six foot seven but but the fly spins around you six or seven times and you can't seem to swat it that's what it felt like <laughs> And, um, you know, uh, it sounds like your car would be more suited for, like, Road America or something with the longer straights that they have there than, yeah, you know, a road course like Blackhawk. Yeah, yeah. So, but I, I, you know, to your point, it was a lot of fun and uh, a great time to be had. And, and the people there were, were very, very nice. And, and so it was it was a, a wonderful time. Cool. That's great because it's like, you know, I'm glad that, you know, I, I haven't had a desire to do any kind of track work on any of my cars like i said for many many years but i'm glad that um you actually was able to were able to bring your car onto a track and have some fun with it because you know it's 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 not made just to look cool and and sound cool it's made to drive fast and and brake aggressively and and handle well and and i think you got all of that so uh, I'm glad, you know, that you that you survived because I remember I was telling you uh, once you we were off the uh, air uh, last time saying that, you know, just just don't get in over your head because there's that temptation, especially when you're on that back straight and you're hauling ass and you're doing like 100 or whatever. You can get in, in especially since, you know, you, it was your first time out there. It's easy to get in over your head and get overconfident or think, hey, I got this. And then, you know, you get into trouble. So. Um, I mean, I, you know what I'm talking about, having been there then, right? I well, mean, well, let, let, let me let me be a little more transparent for just a second. <laughs> so, so the second time down the straightaway, I spun the Viper in the curve. Okay, so, yeah, I've spun it at Blackhawk too. <laughs> yeah, so so uh, uh, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm not sure my wife would be listening to the podcast, but it, I'm sure I'll get a lecture for that later. But uh, yeah, what one spin after that, and you. Smoke all the tires in the current turn, and you know everybody, you know, head cranes and sees who the heck just did that because yeah. you heard it screaming. Yeah. So uh, my my one quick short fast lesson for the day was uh, <laughs> all I needed, and then I was and then I was civil. Oh, it was just that knob in the in the, in the Viper. <laughs> yeah. So. Oh boy, well that's good. You had uh, I think it was perfect weather that day too. It was probably a little still a little warm though. Uh, yeah, there? no, it, it was a great day. You know, it was funny you say that. Everybody, when they came in after one or two laps, they would take their engine compartments and open them up mm-hmm. until their car, you know, car was going to overheat or yeah. something like that. 
and I didn't feel I needed to do that at any time of mine. So uh, <laughs> a, a positive, a positive for the Mopar for sure. So, good, good. So, so Lou survives his first official track day as solo driver in his Viper. So. Uh, Big, uh, big congratulations to you there, Lou, and um, I'm glad that you were able to uh, experience that uh, yeah, in the car, and, and, and everybody yeah, survived. Yeah, and it was good that you actually got to, to drive some of the other cars, too. That, that's always, uh, always a lot of fun. Um, a couple of cars that I saw on the road recently, uh, basically during my uh, solo drives with uh, my vehicles, got to keep them uh, exercised and everything. I've been seeing a lot of, you know, like we kind of talked about this because of the the lockdown and everything. People have kind of rediscovered the Sunday drive. And when I'm out uh, tootling around, whether it's in the uh, Porsche or the Mercedes or whatever, uh, I've been seeing some neat stuff. A 68 El Camino in teal metallic. A, uh, I always call these rat rods because I don't know what else they are. I don't know what they started out as. I don't know what they they uh, they they finished up as. But a, a rusty rat rod. I think they're all rusty. Um, I, this sounds like the car that you just uh, clued me in on. Almost could be the same car, but it's, uh, I think the year is different that you did on the uh, Car Guys Report guessing game last episode. I saw a thirty-four Ford Street Rod in red, but it was a thirty-four, and the one you were telling me about was a thirty-two. So yeah. But uh, the 34 Ford Street Rod in red, a 65 black Mustang convertible. And then actually on this list of of five cars that I spotted all in the same day, this was my favorite, a 67 Bonneville convertible Pontiac, white over blue. Very nice looking, nice big, kind of like the Caddy that we highlighted uh, on last episode. Just a nice big uh, yacht-like two-door Classic American cruiser, top down, white top, white interior, blue body, um, awesome car. So that's some of the stuff that uh, I saw on the road as of late. If you like what uh, you hear, yeah, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I saw a, a 60 um, Pontiac station wagon. Wow, that's rare. Coming out of the, coming out of the gas station. Cool. I was like, wow. It's, it, I was definitely... Uh, doing a circle in my uh, driver's seat on that do you one. do you do uh do you do what i do is every time i'm on the road i come back and i have to try to remember all the cars that i saw and write them down <laughs> for the podcast so uh sometimes i i remember all the things and i'm like what was that other one that i'm trying to remember but there's been so many lately that it's it's been hard to remember every single one that i see but um yeah that's a that's a rare car any of those those uh big station american station wagons from you know, the late 50s, early 60s, into the mid-60s, uh, they're super rare cars because they didn't make a ton of them, and no one hung on to them, and now people want to collect them. So that all adds up to uh, to collectability and big money somewhere down the line. If you like to t- if you uh, like what you hear on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, we're just having fun here, uh, you can uh, check us out online at radiomisfits.com. You can go to Spotify. You can also go to opishows.com. We're basically everywhere you can follow us at car guys report on our car guys podcast on twitter or of course email us car guys reports at hotmail.com if you're a loyal listener you could put that into your your contact list and then whenever we say something that you like or don't like hey it's a click away car guys report at hotmail.com is our email address mark vernon along with uh, lou costable on this episode of the car guys report informed automotive wanted to talk briefly lou about uh, mercedes and what they're doing with turbocharging now this is not exactly new technology but it's new technology for the production car market they're putting uh mercedes amg is going to be putting an electric turbocharger into production now what that is and it's a little misleading just calling it an electric turbocharger but i'll back up here this comes from road and track it says for a few years now formula one engines have used electric turbochargers with an electric motor that is attached to the shaft that connects the compressor and turbine wheels the effect is virtually no turbo lag as the electric motor spins up the compressor and turbine far quicker than exhaust gases alone and if you're a aficionado of turbocharged cars um if you've driven cars with turbo lag on them you know what we're talking about i myself have never been um that hung up on 
on turbo lag. I think uh, the turbo lag has largely been eliminated with either twin turbocharging in a lot of cars these days or just the use of smaller turbochargers that uh, get up to speed a lot quicker. But there is still some people that complain about turbo lag, and that's what Mercedes is trying to eliminate with this technology. AMG announced that it'll be using an electric turbocharger developed in conjunction with Garrett in a future production model. Now, they're not sure which uh, actual car model, Mercedes car model, it's going to be on, but they're talking about using it on AMG's 2-liter M139 engine. It's an engine that we've talked about here before on the Car Guys report, and it can offer up to a maximum of 440 horsepower. Now, that's out of a two-liter four-cylinder engine, which is just astounding. The technology they have in this in this engine is amazing, and up to 369 pound-feet of torque. Now, the way the um, AMG is making the electric uh, part of the turbocharger function is they want to get the quick response of a smaller turbo with the power-generating capability of a big one. As with an F1 um, turbo the electric motor is mounted directly to the shaft that connects the turbine and compressor wheels the motor is driven off a 48 volt electrical system and starts spinning up the compressor wheel before exhaust gases spin up the turbine mercedes amg makes bold claims about the results turbo lag the delayed response of a conventional turbocharger is eliminated by the electric motor um, the electric motor which is only an inch 1.6 inches wide, so it's a small little electric motor, keeps the compressor wheel spinning even when the driver comes off the throttle, so there's no waiting when getting back to power. Mercedes says the electric motor also helps improve low-end torque, and eventually it might be able to harvest uh, energy on its own like they do in uh, the F1 series. Now, we have talked about some of the things they're doing um, with the electric uh, compressing of turbochargers before, Mercedes, and road and track in this article addresses this because i was wondering myself what am i talking about it's also worth noting that this is different than the electric auxiliary compressor that amg is using in their 53 series cars that unit is a separate compressor driven by an electric motor which feeds air into the engine directly or the turbocharger it achieves similar goals reducing turbo lag and improving low-end torque but it's a separate device from the turbocharger so if you're trying to figure out what all this means basically it's another way of eliminating turbo lag by hooking up a small electric motor directly to the um, basically the compressor shaft of the turbocharger and uh, mercedes is going to be doing that in their production models sometime probably within the next year so something to be on the lookout for and see how it uh, pans out in real life we're at the point in the program where Lou, we like to talk about uh, cars that are either for sale or uh, recently purchased online uh, via either uh, auction or just an outright sale. Um, Hemmings.com, of course, is a place that we like to go to and, of course, bring a trailer, too. Again, this one comes from Bring a Trailer. I thought it'd be nice to segue from the Mercedes-AMG electric turbocharging into this. What am I talking about? It's a 1969 Mercedes-Benz 300 SEL, but it's the 6.3. Now, I've always had a uh, an affinity for the large Mercedes uh, four-door sedans, the 6.3 and the 6.9, which they made in the early to mid-70s. The 6.3 was the uh, classic uh, 300 uh, SEL uh, body style, but it had the big 6.3-liter naturally aspirated V8 engine in it. Uh, at the time, it was the... Uh, I think it was the, considered the most powerful uh, production sedan that you could buy. Uh, it, these numbers don't sound huge uh, now, but you got to remember this was 50 years ago. Uh, 6.3 liter Mercedes naturally aspirated V8, 247 horsepower, 369 pound-feet of torque. Uh, this car sold for $35,000. Now, you might think that's a good deal. And I said, well, well, is it well bought or not? Or is it a ticking time bomb? Uh, it's hard to tell when you get into a, a Mercedes like this that's 50 years old, how well it's been taken care of. This one had a certain amount of um, restoration and uh, maintenance work done to it. But one thing that, that scares me is the fact that the car had been in storage for 20 years 
preceding the sellers dealer, selling dealer's acquisition in, in 2020, and they spent a subsequent $27,000 in reported servicing that included a new brake master cylinder, fuel tank and fuel pump repairs, new front subframe bushings, air suspension repairs, new tires, and more. So you might think that this car is you know pretty good because it's had $27,000 worth of, of um, work recently done to it. It was a nice gold, uh, metallic gold color. But, again, it's like these are complex cars. They have air suspensions. Anything that's 50 years old is going to show deterioration, especially if it's been sitting somewhere for 20 years. I don't care how much uh, rejuvenation you've done to it. Obviously, you've done all the fluids and filters and things like that. But the only way to really find out if this thing was well-bought or not would be to just start driving it. I mean, don't take it to a track day like Lou did with his Viper because it would probably break right away. But, you know, start taking it out on, you know, uh, day trips and things like that and and start seeing if it's going to be overheating or if the charging system isn't working or if it makes weird noises or starts using oil. At $35,000, this was a gamble, I think. It could go either way. And I'm not sure what the fair market value of a 6.3 is these days. Um... 35 is, I believe, pretty much on the low end of that, but I, an absolute pristine example of this car, I don't know if it'd go for 50 or 60,000, it's hard to say, but um, I've never had experience, Lou, with a car that's been sitting that long and then being brought back to life. Have you had any experience along those lines? Hello, Lou? Are you there? Yeah, Mark, sorry. I'm okay. here. I was actually answering your question. Um, <laughs> I thought we got disconnected there for a minute. I'm like, Lou, Lou, where are you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm here. I was no, that's okay. Question. I can tell you're and, taking and this seriously. Realized, <laughs> and then, yeah, and then I realized you weren't hearing me with the question. So the, um, See, um, but this is live, folks. This is not edited. This is this is the way it should be. <laughs> so, um I haven't had any experience with a car that's that old, but I think you hit it on the head. If you go through the mechanicals, you know, it's it's running properly. You drive it gingerly at first until you get comfortable with where it's at. I think, you know, generally speaking, you should be fine. Yeah, it's hard to say. Just anything with, like, an air suspension, though, especially 50 years on, those can get really, really expensive to fix and sort out and things like that. Mechanically, it probably would be okay, at least the engine. I mean, Mercedes builds great engines. The 6.3 was no exception. The transmission would probably be okay. Brakes are, you know, pretty straightforward. I didn't have any exotic things with the brakes as far as I know. So it's interesting. And, and some of the comments, that's one thing about Bring a Trailer is they they have a big comment section underneath the uh, listing that runs while the auction is running. And people will write things, and sometimes they're just a little snarky. Other times they're ac- asking, you know, legitimate questions. And then when the auction ends, you know, people will say, well bought, or kind of like maybe that was a ticking time bomb. Who knows? But uh, that's the fun of Bring a Trailer. A uh, lot of great cars on that website. Check it out if you can. Also, Hemmings.com is now auctioning, offering auctions as well as just uh, their standard listings from the Hemmings publication that they put online. So two great places to start if you're looking at at uh, uh, acquiring a, a collector car, vintage car, special interest car, or if you just want to see where the market is for a particular vehicle, those are two great resources to start with because then you'll get to know if a car that you might be interested in is in your price range or not. It's a great place to start. If you like the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, be sure to check out some of the other programs that are available on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network, like the program Minutia Men. It's an OPI show. Our good friends Rick Kempfer and uh, Dave Stern are consumers of worthless information. Listen as they share their newest worthless information in the podcast, Minutia Men. It's on Spotify, opishows.com, or wherever you find podcasts. Just search for Radio Misfits, and when you search for Radio Misfits, hey, you'll find us. The Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, Mark Vernon, along with uh, Lou Costable. And, you know, Lou, one thing that's been happening in this um, with the lockdown and the worldwide pandemic is a lot of companies are realizing that they probably had too many brand extensions with their products. And when we talk about brand extensions, we're talking about like, if, you know, six months ago, you'd go into a, a grocery store and you'd have, uh, you know, no pulp orange juice, uh, some pulp, full pulp, uh, vitamin A, vitamin E, uh, 
you know, low-cal, no sugar, whatever, you know, have eight different kinds of orange juice where it's like, just give me some orange juice. I don't need all these stupid brand extensions. And since the market has been shifting during this um, situation that the world finds itself in, a lot of the companies are paring down a lot of these brand extensions because they're realizing that we don't have to have all this stuff. People just want orange juice or whatever. So the reason I ask or talk about this is Carol Shelby was known for being kind of a, a, a an astute marketer. I know he, I believe he had a, a chili line for a while in, uh, I don't know when, it was in the 80s or 90s. But way back in the 60s, he actually had <laughs> a Carol Shelby deodorant, and it was called Pit Stop. Get it? Nice. <laughs> Very nice. And... Um, there's one can of pit stop deodorant being auctioned off by Meekum later on this year. Somebody has one somewhere around. I don't think I'd want to be spraying that on my pits. Who knows what kind of chemical reactions have taken place since the late 60s inside that can. But I'll read a little bit of this. It comes from uh, a website called The Drive, which is uh, automotive uh, information that's available on the web. It says here, there ain't nothing more American than good old-fashioned hustle. And Carol Shelby played that game better than most. After racing until his heart medication couldn't let him on the track, Shelby turned to tuning ACs, Fords, and even the odd Dodge, establishing a dynasty of modified cars. And separately, chili seasoning kits. Uh, and this uh, still thrives even after his passing, but not all of the racing aces ventures were runaway successes. At least one of Shelby's products didn't pass the public's sniff test har har and that product was ironically a deodorant named pit stop launched in july of 1967 53 years ago shelby's mug on the can pit stop was sold as a real man's deodorant a slightly ironic appraisal given women's successful inroads into motorsport as of the late 1960s after a 24-hour race you probably need a pit stop reads the label no feminine frills but a pleasing masculine fragrance with effective deodorant control recommended for everyday use by non-race car drivers too. Pit Stop was available by mail order for a for $2 a can and it comes to over $15 today if you factor in inflation. When Pit Stop went out of production it wasn't quite certain but it likely vanished from the market in the early 70s when one of its active ingredients was hit by a wave of bad publicity. No, not the zinc phenol sulfonate, it turns out, but the masculine shade of pink on contact with the air. But hexachlorophene, which is found to cause neurological damage. So like I said, I wouldn't want to be using that the can that's going to go up for uh, auction. But uh, I just thought it was pretty hilarious that, you know, uh, talk about brand extensions. Pit stop deodorant from Carol Shelby. So... It's just it's just one of those tidbits that, you know, it really happened. And uh, that's the kind of stuff we like to talk about from time to time here on the uh, Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. Lou, I know you're, you're just le- left speechless by that. I, I, uh, no, no, I, I think that that is brilliant marketing. And uh, what better guy to tell us about Pit Stop than Carol Shelby? True, true. I think it is. It is. It is pretty. Uh, and then the name. I mean, it's 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 so obvious. It's it's not obvious in a way. It's just it's 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 genius. So, wanted to definitely uh, bring that to your attention. Speaking of uh, keeping your body in good shape, we have sanitized all our Opie shows for your protection. But you should still be wearing a mask. Help prevent the spread of COVID nineteen by following the CDC guidelines. You will be saving the world. And also be sure to wash your hands. And while we've got another delivery here at the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, our warehouse is just humming with activity today. We'll be right back after this. On and friends, we like to occasionally torture ourselves by trying something that we may or just may not like. Sometimes people like to bring things that they know we're not going to like. And sometimes they bring things that we might not like, but we actually do. All that and more on and friends. An Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. On this week's Minutia Men Celebrity Interview, we talked to Amy Landecker. Your husband is obviously very politically uh, active. Um, I, I follow him on Twitter. <laughs> Let's go bother him now. Oh, okay. Right. <laughs> We're waking up Bradley Woodford right now. I love it. Rick, this should be a new bit that we do. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> oh, he's in the shower. Oh, this is even better. Honey. What? 
Oh, and he's naked, so I definitely won't turn Oh, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> I'm going to have to draw the line here. <laughs> Minutia Men, Celebrity Interview, an Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great Talk Radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. And we're back here on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive. Thanks so much for taking us along for the ride. Certainly glad to have you with us. Mark Vernon, along with Lou Costable. And Lou, on last episode, we started uh, working through a list of 24 fun or not boring cars that are available in the year 2020 for under the uh, mark of $40,000. This is according to Road and Track. Uh, the cars on the uh, list were, on the first half of the list, were basically around 30000 or a little under, which is nice, a couple that were closer to 40 and on the second part of the list there's a couple of cars that actually have i actually have direct experience with so i'll be able to speak a little bit about that can i guess we heard the first half of the list i I think you just repeat the first half of the list. first half sure the first half uh, out of the 24 cars and this was in no particular order wasn't ranked like you know all the most fun this was the most fun of the most fun or anything like that it was just just the list uh, it wasn't ranked by price or anything like that, but the Nissan 370Z, the Camaro 1LE, the Toyota Corolla hatchback, and I had a question mark about that, Subaru BRZ, the Kia Stinger, the Alfa Romeo Giulia, the Dodge Charger RT, the Hyundai Veloster N, and the Hyundai Veloster R-Spec, the Hyundai Elantra GT N-Line, the Mazda Miata, and the Fiat 124 Spider Abarth, which is affectionately known as the Fiat. So starting with part two and right at the top. So, so, so let me let me guess a couple just okay. for you, John. Yeah, this is under 40000 Yeah, I, I wanted to hear the first half before I jumped in on this, but I'm guessing that there's got to be a Mustang on there. There is. The Mustang, and, and yeah. Is there also a Camaro? There is another Camaro, right. yeah, yeah. The Mustang, right. the Mustang GT, three uh, about thirty five thousand, and the Camaro SS, which is about thirty seven thousand. Those are both good cars. They're they're more powerful. They have, uh, I believe, that that at the GT level they have the V eight, and the SS has the V eight in it as well. Um, so those are two cars on the list for under forty thousand fun to drive. They put the Fiat five hundred Abarth on there now. You know Fiat's not selling the five hundred anymore in the states as of twenty nineteen. That's why I wanted to get a twenty nineteen. And I had a um, couple of comments about that. Um, I have driven the Abarth before. Our man in the field, Roger Rexroad, owned an Abarth for. A uh, number of years, I uh, bought it brand new, and it's a good car. It's really loud because it basically has like an unmuffled exhaust. Um, it's a, just a little too stiff, I think, for most people. It's about twenty thousand. You can probably get a better deal on it now because I'm sure they're languishing. Which which ones are left are languishing on the lots. But I would say I would argue the turbo pop, which is what I have, is better in some ways because it's quieter. It's almost as fast. It's fun to drive. You can get an automatic with it. And it's cheaper by about five to six thousand dollars. And um, you know, I will say that my original Fiat Pop had the just a standard one point four liter engine in it. My new one has the one point four liter turbo, which has thirty percent more horsepower, fifty percent more torque. And we're still not talking about big numbers, we're talking hundred and thirty five horsepower, hundred and fifty pound feet of torque, but it really has transformed the car. And as much fun as I had enjoying driving my twenty twelve the 2019 is like that much more fun just because of the power. So I would say don't even bother with the Abarth. Just buy a turbo pop, have fun with it, and and save some money uh, at the same time. The uh, Toyota 86, which is very similar to the uh, Subaru BRZ that was on the first half of the list, uh, the Volkswagen GTI, there's a classic, but uh, it only comes in a four-door. I wish they still offered that car in a two-door. And they don't anymore. The Volkswagen Jetta GLI, I think, is a boring car. I don't know why that's on the list. It's not that expensive, 26000 Now, here's another one that you'll probably take issue with, uh, Lou. The Jeep Wrangler they put on the list as a fun-to-drive car. Of course, it's, a, it's, a, it's an SUV. Uh, I know people that love their Jeeps, and they have a lot of fun driving them, but I don't know if it really belongs on this list. You can go either way with that. The uh, Honda Civic... Uh-huh. I'm okay with the Jeep. Are you? Okay. I, I, I would go with, um, again, it, um, the, the key word is fun. Yeah. 
And, Jeeps are and, fun. You know, you, yeah, you take the doors off and, you know, you're driving. It's it, it, it's exhilarating. It's interesting that you talk about the doors off because I do see a lot of people driving with their doors off. And I wondered, I mean, is that technically street legal to drive with the doors off? I mean, you're wearing your seatbelt. But I yeah. always wondered, are you just begging for a ticket or is it legal to do that? Well, I, I'm sure it's legal when you think about you can obviously drive a motorcycle and there's no, you know, seat belt on that, right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure that uh, uh, I'm sure it's legal. I, I've never heard it not being legal. Yeah. I, I don't know the, you know, I don't know the, uh, I'm not an attorney, Mark. I video <laughs> cards, but um, I don't know the legal ramifications of that. But to me, I would assume that that you still get the chance to play the game. Yeah, with, well, I with, see a lot of doors, people. Yeah, I see a lot of people driving around with the doors off, and it's a cool look. So, the Hyundai Civic Type R, which is a little pocket rocket, thirty-seven thousand dollars, though, to me is getting a bit pricey. The uh, BMW Two Thirty I stickers about uh, mid thirties. Our Buick specialist, Bill Kubik, who has been on the program, he's got a Two Twenty Eight I convertible, and. Uh, he hasn't been a foreign car driver very often, and he's had that car for about a year now, and uh, he really likes it so far. So uh, we can get some uh, definitely some thumbs up from him on that. The Mustang GT, which you had uh, alluded to before, Lou, that you guessed was on the second part of the list, and it was, along with the Camaro SS. A couple of Subarus, the WRX STI, which is the top of the line WRX, $37,000, though, for that car a little pricey and then just the standard wrx for about 10 grand cheaper i'd probably go with the uh with the standard wrx at uh, 27 and a half thousand and number 24 on the list i will heartily agree with this the dodge challenger rt now they're talking about just the um base v8 model which is the 5.7 liter uh, Hemi in there, 375 horsepower, which is a great engine, still plenty of power, and that that comes in under 40,000. Now, when you get to the Scat Pack like I have, or obviously a Hellcat, you're going to be above 40 grand. But the Dodge Challenger RT, I would give a hearty hey-ho that that does definitely belong on the list. On the list. So, uh, just uh, having some fun with, uh, with these lists, as we always do. And uh, nothing really, you know, if I had to pick anything on the, the whole list, I'd go with the Challenger because that's, I got one and I'm, I'm having fun with it. And I, I think you said you, you were leaning towards the Fiat, uh, the 124 Spider on the first half of the list. On the second half, what would you pick, Lou? Um, I'd be curious um, of the horsepower of the Mustang GT versus the Challenger. You know, I'm trying to remember because, like I said, I didn't cross shop those cars, and I wasn't looking at, I wasn't looking at the 5.7 liter in, in the Challenger, other than just to know what the horsepower was. I can't remember what the Mustang GT is. I want to say it's like, this is just a stab, but I think it's like 350, 325, something like that. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I I, uh, I think you've got three. The first list, in my opinion, was a little light as yeah. far as I liked on it. This list, I like quite a bit of it. So uh, I like, believe it or not, the Wrangler. I like the Jeep. Uh, I like the uh, I like the the Mustang. I like the Camaro. I like the Challenger. Um, you know, boy, it's it, it's. Uh, I think I'd take them all. I take all four that I just said. Yeah, just, I, I just spent one hundred and sixty thousand. <laughs> I just buy all, buy all. Well, four. it's good to know that you can still have some fun for under forty thousand. It's not just a sea of Toyota Camrys and Toyota Avalons and uh, Nissan Altimas out there. You know, Mark, Mark, Mark. They said fun, Mark. Mark. I know. I said well, but I'm saying. <laughs> A lot of those cars, people just think that's all you get for forty grand, and no, there's stuff that you can have fun with for under forty. So that's what I'm saying. You're not going to catch me in a in a I went, I, in Nissan I went Altima. The, I went into a Honda dealer yes uh, the other day, and I saw a Honda uh, four door Civic R, and I think they wanted fifty six grand for it. <laughs> yeah, there some of those cars are getting way up there. I, I, if you ever go to like the Subaru website too, and you start pricing out certain Subaru models and it doesn't even have to be a WRX. It could be like a, a high end Outback or a Forester. I think you'd be surprised at how expensive they can get when you start loading them up with certain options. And I'm not sure why the, maybe the, the dealer is trying to get some markup on that civic, but um, I know that it's not a, not a, not a cheap car to begin with. It's like upper thirties and maybe, I don't know if that had other things in it, but what were you doing in a Honda dealer, by the way? 
Um, I think I was getting my uh, my oldest uh, oil change or something to that effect, and we, and I stopped in the you know from the service. I just went up to the dealer area. You are course, do you have a Honda in your family though, or were you? Yeah, you do. Yeah, we got a we got a Civic. Okay, I didn't know that. Yeah, because I just somehow Lou wandering around a, <laughs> a Honda I, dealer I, seems a little odd. I, yeah, I, I've uh, uh, I've had Civics now for since 2002. Wow, my my second Civic. Wow, only second. See, that's how that's how long lived they are. It's only your second Civic in 18 years. Yeah, the first the first one, the one that I'm talking about now, has 131,000 miles okay. on it, and the first one before it got T-boned. Uh, by the same person who owns the second one, is uh, I think we had 160 on. It. Okay. And I, I think it would have probably, I don't, I don't know when that thing would have stopped. Oh yeah, they, they <laughs> it just would have kept going. But, yeah, my my uh, girlfriend's uh, when we first uh, got acquainted uh, 16 years ago, she was driving a 1996 Rav4, 96 yeah. or 97, and. Um, you know, a couple of years after we had started seeing each other, she crossed 200,000 on that thing. It was still just purring like a kitten. And um, yeah. she got rid of it and uh, sold it to one of my cousins. They put on another like 30 or 40,000 miles on it. So it went like at least 250. And it's just like nothing but regular maintenance, no transmission jobs or even alternators no. or starters, just oil, no. you know, plugs, yeah. filters. And that was it. Break. Timing yeah, belt, break. one timing belt breaks. And that was it, tires. But yeah, it's just. It's amazing. It really is. Yeah, it's uh, it's the um, and and under forty thousand dollars. Yeah, exactly. There you go. If you like uh, what you're hearing on the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, be sure to tell a friend about the Car Guys Report. It's available on Spotify, opishows.com, and radiomisfits.com. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Android, Stitcher, Blueberry, and iHeartRadio. And remember, podcasting is listening on your own terms, whether you're listening on your uh, iPhone, your Android phone, your desktop your laptop your tablet if you're in the park at work at home in the car it's listening on your own terms you can fast forward rewind replay do whatever you want whenever you want that's the beauty of podcasting and also when you tune into the uh, car guys report be sure to uh sign up uh subscribe to us so you get an automatic push notification every tuesday when there's new content with our podcast you can uh, find our podcast at all those places I just mentioned, opishows.com, radiomisfits.com. You can also just Google the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, and you'll find us. That's where we are. Mark Vernon along with Lou Costable. It's time for the My Car Story with Lou Car Guys Report guessing game. And, Lou, this is always the part of the program where I turn it over to you, and you can uh, tell us how the uh, guessing game works and what uh, you're going to dazzle me with today. So if you're new to the Car Guys Report, by chance this is your first time you've joined us, what I have is a YouTube channel called My Car Story with Lou. Uh, There's over 1,500 different cars on the channel. There's uh, probably over 1,620 different videos. And what I do is I take uh, three cars. Usually I load a week, Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. We give them a little time to percolate, so to speak, and uh, mature. And then I give these three guesses which mark has no clue what they are we pick first second and third by views so um that said um i usually pick the oldest car first i give some details mark can ask some questions and then we go forward from there so this one's going to feature two mustangs uh both from the 70s and uh the oldest car i'll start with first is a 1969 we talked about this in the last episode Dodge Charger RT with a four-speed in yellow with a 440 engine. Wow. So that's the first one. That's the oldest one. The second oldest one is a 71 Ford Mach 1 in blue with a 351 engine. All of these, you get to hear the engine sound. And the last one is a 78 Ford Mustang II King Cobra in orange. Only one year only did they make the King Cobra in 1978. I'm going to go, because I know that King Cobra is a funky car, being orange. I'm going to go with that as my top pick. And then I'm going to go with the 
I'm going to go with the Mach 1 and then the Charger. Well, you have picked number one correctly. I did. Wow. The, the, the King Cobra came in as the king with 18,087 wow. votes. Wow. Right behind it, though, was the 69 Charger in yellow with 17,336 okay. votes. And coming in uh, well tardy and last was the 71 Mustang Mach 1 with 7,090. Huh. Views, but, I was uh, waffling there between two and three because I wasn't I, sure. Yeah, I, I was I was rooting for you. You know, you uh, in the background here. I was hoping I was going to. I was. <laughs> I wasn't trying to tip it, but uh, I haven't had a I had I haven't had a, a three three place uh, win place and show for a while. But I'm glad I got the number one right though. And is that just because of the, the rarity of that car, the uniqueness of it? Well, um, first of all, let me state you know. I have, even as long as I've been doing this, which is almost seven years now doing YouTube, uh, it's a little bit like throwing, when I throw up a video, it's a little bit like throwing wet toilet paper against the wall. I never know what's going to stick. So there's no rhyme or reason to it. But to answer your question specifically about the car, the King Cobra is actually one of those where I have my own personal connection to it. In 1978, my neighbor three doors down from me had a 78 King Cobra, and we do some cruising around in that car. So when you've ever cruised in a car, you always, of course, you know, look around and think to yourself, you know, can I see another one of those? And it was really uh, challenging to find another one, let alone one that's in original condition. So, what made it the King um, Cobra? What was the was it just appearance or was it performance as well? Uh, no performance difference okay. in the Cobra too, that, but clearly a different look to it. Oh yeah, it had a uh, it had two things going for it that were different than the Cobra two. Number one, it had a very distinct chin spoiler that was uh, very flat okay. versus the more angled. Cobra two one that you might see Farrah Fawcett in back in uh, mm-hmm. Charlie's, and Charlie's Angels. Angels, yeah, the white with the blue, right? But uh, um, and the King Cobra also had a uh, uh, the hood scoop was backwards. That's what I thought. Uh, it had a different hood scoop or something on it. And, and I think it actually had the same hood scoop. They just turned it around. Yeah, and, and then it had these little fender skirts right before the back wheels which uh, might even have been something that the Cobra II had. But the big, uh, uh, you know, in the 70s, um, mid-70s in particular, your your car was really based on stickers. Oh, yeah, and, and it had a lot of uh, go-fasters, as a friend of mine used to say. Yeah, the, the sticker on the hood of the King Cobra was unmistakable versus the Cobra II because mm-hmm. it, was as big as, it was as big as the Firebird's fire chicken. Yeah. And it was a cobra panning its neck, you know, panning its neck yeah. out, uh, and then spinning off of that. Yeah. And the, the pinstriping off it was, uh, was was nothing short of Barnum and Bailey. Oh, we loved the disco era, didn't we? <laughs> and you just thought of something. I just thought of something too. It's like, oh, honey, I'm watching Charlie's Angels for the Cars. <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> But, uh, well, at least I got number one right. That was good. But yeah, I wonder why the the Mustang, because Mach 1s are neat cars. I've always liked those early 70s Mach 1s. You know, it, it, uh, the, the 71 probably doesn't get it as much love. I think it gets more love in the last, I'm going to say, 15 years. Yeah. Because people realize you don't see 71s as often as you see a... a uh, you know, 68, 69, 70. I believe they came out in 68. Maybe it was 69. But, um, uh, yeah, I mean, the, 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 the uh, you know, the early Mustangs, you know, just an unbelievably iconic design. So the 71 was a big disappointment compared to the 70 or the 69. People yeah. in that time period felt like, oh, my gosh, we're really going down. And then, of course, we got the 74, and people basically just threw the, you know, because seventy one was the was the the really long fastback one, right? The really long hood and the really long sloping. Yeah, they relatively long. Yeah, they did a redesign in seventy one. The yeah. back window you can almost not even see out. Yeah, it was so it's angled. So yeah, raked so far yeah, back. Yeah, I always yeah. thought that was a neat. And you see a lot of those in the 
in like um, the Quinn Martin productions of like Barnaby Jones and Cannon um, every night because the Ford was a sponsor of the, of the cars on those shows. And in, in certain episodes, you'll see like the same red Mach 1 that they're using. <laughs> it's awesome because it's like, oh, it's such a cool car. But, um, well, good. I, the King Cobra, I forgot all about that, but I've got it, that vision in my mind. And, and that, that you're right, that, hoods, that hood decal is really something to, uh, to behold, especially in orange, too. What a what a great color for that car. Or, or Mark, just go to YouTube and punch in my car story with Luke King Cobra, and it'll pop it'll pop right up there. That's the beauty of it, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, my car story with Lou on YouTube, over fifteen hundred videos and over eighty thousand subscribers. Just a lot of people out there uh, subscribe to Lou's uh, YouTube channel, and you can too. Just check it out, and I'm sure you'll be uh, impressed by all the great cars that Lou has uh, on his uh, YouTube channel. We play the uh, My Car Story with Lou Car Guys Report guessing game each and every episode here on the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive. I'm Mark Vernon along with uh, Lou Costable. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, we'll downshift a little bit. Our Buick specialist, Bill Kubik, will return for another fun-filled episode. So that's something to look forward to. Uh, thanks so much for having taken us along for the ride today. Certainly glad to uh, have had you along. Special thanks to executive producer Tony Lasano with OpiShows.com. Opie is the word hippo backwards. O-P-P-I-H shows.com. It's distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, and that would be radiomisfits.com. This OPI podcast was recorded at an earlier date. Some material may be outdated and or mentioned under different circumstances. Consult your local health authorities for the latest on COVID-19. The preceding was a presentation of OPI Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of OPI Productions. Tony, can you shut up? I am Howard Sudbury. And I'm Steve Baskerville. And on Back to You, our podcast, we do all kinds of things like, how would you describe it? We do nitpicky things sometimes, like how come you got headphones on and I don't? Because I'm the star of the show. Well, see, that's up for uh, debate and deliberation. And uh, a lot of the show is about who gets top billing and last word. Well, we'll find out in the next Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. See ya. Bye. Back to You with Howard Sudbury and Steve Baskerville. An Opie show only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. If you missed Los Anno or Los Los Anno and friends, here's what you missed. Did you guys know that Family Guy is a very smart show? No, Uh. South Park is actually the smartest show. Why? Because it's a very conservative show done in a very liberal manner, and there is so much rhetoric. Oh my god, I I still disagree that South Park is the smartest show. However, yes, it is smart (laughs) in that it fools a lot of people into thinking that it's funny and or that it is that it is making fun of everything. Okay, out of the four shows, South Park, Simpsons, Family Guy, and Flintstones, which is a smart show. Hold on, why are you including (laughs) Flintstones? <laughs> Radio Misfits. Get more Lozano and Friends. Lozano. Now on Lozano.com. Good luck trying to spell Lozano or whatever it's called. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report Informed Automotive, our Buick specialist, Bill Kubik, returns for another wide-ranging discussion on Buicks, Mopars, BMWs, and more. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me for this very special episode of the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast, an OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.